What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Let's kick this thing off. Zach Goldstein is the founder and CEO of Public Rec, which makes the most comfortable leisure apparel. He has a unique solo founder story and has now grown Public Rec into eight figures in revenue annually. In this conversation, we discuss leaving investment banking, the original idea for Public Rec, the initial Kickstarter campaign, being a solo founder, self-funding the business, achieving profitability, and being a product-first founder. I really enjoyed this conversation with Zach, and I hope you do as well. Before we get into the episode, though, I want to quickly talk about our sponsors. First up is Remote.com. In 2021, every business is a global business. But how do you pay your global team and comply with international labor laws? Remote handles payroll, benefits, taxes, and compliance to help companies of all sizes pay and manage full-time and contracted workers all over the world. No matter where your team lives and works, Remote's global employment solutions keep your team, your finances, and your intellectual property secure. Remote never charges percentages or fees, just best-in-class global employment solutions for a low flat rate. The world's top global companies love Remote. GitLab, the world's largest all-remote organization, trusts Remote to manage their global team. And so should you. Remote is funded by Index Ventures, Sequoia Capital, and a host of other top-tier investors. You can learn more about Remote and their new Remote for Startups program at remote.com. I've had the CEO on the podcast previously, and I really, really love what they're doing. Go to remote.com. If you've got employees anywhere in the world, remote.com can solve all of your problems. Next up is BlockFi. BlockFi provides financial products for crypto investors. I'm an investor. I sit on the board. I'm a very happy user of BlockFi. I think you will be too. Those products include a high-yield interest account where you can earn up to 8.6% APY in that interest-bearing account. They also have a product where they'll give you a US dollar loan to get your crypto collateral. And they've got a crypto exchange that allows you to trade all sorts of cryptocurrencies with no fees. They're coming out with a Bitcoin rewards credit card in the next couple of weeks. If you go to BlockFi.com slash POMP, you can use any of the existing products or you can sign up for the waitlist for that Bitcoin rewards credit card. It's a normal credit card that when you swipe, you get Bitcoin back rather than cash back or airline miles. So go to BlockFi.com slash POMP and sign up today. Again, BlockFi.com slash POMP. Next up is Choice. Choice is rebuilding the way you approach retirement, which starts with making it simple to include Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies in your savings. More than 20,000 Bitcoiners, myself included, have already signed up to start investing. Whether we are talking about crypto or stocks, Choice lets you trade real Bitcoin and stocks like Tesla in the same place, all without paying a dime in capital gains taxes. And if you want to hold your own keys all the way to the moon, you can do that too. Either way, Choice is on a mission to give you full control over your retirement savings. So head on over to retirewithchoice.com slash POMP. Again, that's retirewithchoice.com slash POMP and sign up for an account today. And one more thing, you know how I feel about this, but if you have a pro that manages your money, don't take any BS. Choice has tools for them too. Take back control today and visit retirewithchoice.com slash POMP. Again, retirewithchoice.com slash POMP. All right, let's get into this episode with Zach. I hope you guys really enjoy this one. Anthony Pompliano is a partner at Morgan Creek Digital. All opinions expressed by Pomp or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Morgan Creek Digital or Morgan Creek Capital Management. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp as a specific inducement to make a particular investment 
or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys. Bang, bang. I've got Zach here with me. Thanks so much for doing this, sir. Yeah, no problem. Happy to be here. For sure. So you are the only person I know in the world that was a solo founder and also solo employee uh, of a business that you ran for multiple years. Uh, You eventually grew it to $7 million in revenue by yourself. Uh, What happened and how the hell did you do that? (laughs) Um, Well, you know, I was the only internal employee, but I had a lot of external help um, working with you know, a lot of third-party agencies, you know, a production partner who was overseeing our manufacturing. And so, you know, was fortunate. I, I, I met a lot of helpful people along the way. Um, and I, I, I was super sensitive to, you know, hiring too quickly and I wanted to stay away from raising funding. And so that just kind of forced me to be as lean as possible. And so I wasn't ready to really bring on talent until I knew I could sustain them and the business could sustain them. And so, yeah. And then, we were fortunate we launched a product that uh, kind of resonated right out the gate. And so during that three and a half years, uh, if you're the only internal employee, you basically are doing everything. Uh, what did your day look like? Were you just awake for like 20 hours a day or kind of what were you doing? Uh, yeah, it was pretty intense. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, there's a lot, you know, a lot of customer support stuff that ended up being, getting customer support got to a place where it was like, okay, I can't. Obviously, we need help there. Um, product development, you know, marketing, um, yeah, touching a lot of different areas, and um, you know, it, it was kind of like doing part time of what you know we have our employees do full time now, and just probably not being at a size where it required someone to be full time. Um, but yeah, kind of all day thinking about the business and, and and trying to advance it, however best. Yeah. And so what was your background before you started public rec? Uh, I, I was working in finance beforehand. Uh, I previously directly worked uh, for a private equity firm. And before that, I worked in investment banking uh, for a few years out of school. And so was it just you had uncomfortable pants and you wanted more comfortable pants? Or like, what was the impetus for the idea? It actually, I mean, a little bit. Um, so, you know, sweatpants never fitting me well, uh, me being shorter. And so like sweat, like, in college, I gravitated towards one pair of sweatpants that actually ended up fitting. They happened to be my mom's. And I was like, oh, why do these fit? Why do I like these more? Because they fit better. They're shorter in length. So I was like, why aren't, you know, leisure pants, sweatpants offered in a waist and inseam sizing? If they were, they could fit better. It felt like a problem that other brands were ignoring because of the inventory risk um, and the investment and like trying to do it differently. And so it felt like a way to differentiate the product was offer waist and length sizing for these your pants. For sure. And so when you go to launch this thing, you have a Kickstarter campaign, uh, from my understanding, and you do six figures in revenue through that Kickstarter campaign. Why Kickstarter? And kind of what did you do to increase the odds of it being successful? Yeah. At the time, Kickstarter felt like uh, a good place to really test the market immediately uh, and, and you know get feedback, understand if the message was resonating, if people were interested in the product at all. Um, and then like also garner some PR, um, you know, at the time when you were having success on Kickstarter and it still is, but like, it's a very public, um, display of your business and everyone can see the number that you've raised. And it's like, Oh, this company, you know, they have credibility because they did this much on Kickstarter or it's, you know, it's resonating with other customers. Maybe I should check them out. And so, 
Yeah, uh, I, I spent six months in advance of really dialing in the campaign, making the video, um, having a final prototype, uh, and feeling good about where I was with the manufacturer and the content and the story. Um, and then also, you know, reaching out to writers in advance to kind of tell them this was coming and hope that maybe they may be interested enough to, to write about us. For sure. And so when you think through uh, kind of where you've evolved to today, how do you describe Public Rec and what you guys are doing? We're a leisure apparel brand, uh, mainly direct to consumer online, uh, making super comfortable clothes. You can still feel good about wearing outside of the house. Um, Yeah, we, you know, I can go into it more throughout this, but yeah, we spend a ton of time making product and sourcing fabrics and making sure that whatever, you know, we're coming out with is different and better than, than what's out there today. And when you think through the business, uh, being D to C, obviously, I think has uh, kind of swept through a bunch of these different industries, but it seems like every D to C company eventually tries to get into uh, physical retail, uh, retail locations. Why stay D to C for the most part? Yeah. Um, I think it was kind of just out of what was working and like where we felt the scale, like, you know, we were, we were fortunate that the message was resonating kind of as we scaled our marketing budget digitally. Um, and so I was like, you know, let's just keep doing this. You know, we see, we spend a dollar, we get, you know, two and a half dollars, three dollars back in revenue. This is great. This makes sense for the business. It's profitable. Um, you know, how much more can we push this? Okay. We need to get, we'll get more inventory to support how much more we can push it. And so it was kind of just like, just keep doing kind of what's working for the time being. Um, we, we launched one store in New York. Uh, it was open for about six months. Unfortunately, we closed it uh, due to COVID and we kind of walked away from it. It's, it's a, you know, a strategy we're reassessing and probably will pursue at some point. Um, but, you know, the capital required to do it uh, and the amount of revenue it can drive versus just kind of building the brand online, it, it just felt like it made sense to stay focused on the web business. Yeah. And what I think stands out about the product that you've built is you are product first, right? This idea of comfort, it's all over the marketing materials. It's literally when you describe the company, uh, when you wear the clothes, they just feel better. Um, Where does that kind of product obsession come from? Uh, And then kind of, do you do anything inside of the company to continue to just hammer that home to employees, partners, vendors, et cetera, about that uh, kind of focus on quality of product? Yeah. Yeah. I, to me, it was like, you know, I only want to do this. I only want to start a company if, you know, I feel like we can make something that's better than what's out there today. Because, like, you know, we're starting with a no-name brand. We're only going to win and we're only going to attract customers if our product is great. And then, like, you know, everything else has to make sense and work. And and But to me, it was like, start with trying to make a product that we think is better than what's out there currently and that customers are going to enjoy. Um, and so... You know, the, the first product took a couple years to make, uh, sourcing different fabrics, finding different factories, finally got to a place where it felt good about the fabric, the fit. Um, and it's kind of been, you know, that way since we've launched products. We try to think of things as core. We don't think of them as seasonal or, or discount them. Um, and we try to, I mean, we'll spend anywhere from 18 to 36 months uh, from idea to the products in our fulfillment center and ready to sell to our customers because, uh I just feel like we don't have the opportunity to get it wrong. Like customers are trusting us. It's a leap of faith to try a new brand. If the product isn't excellent, they're not coming back. They're not talking about us to friends and family. 
nothing else works if, uh, if people don't love the product. Yeah. And so how do you measure whether people actually love it, right? Obviously there's sales. Is there anything else that you guys look at uh, to really measure how much people love the product? Uh, we look at repeat rate. Um, we look at, you know, customer feedback. We're getting reviews from customers. Um, we're looking at, you know, how people talk about the brand on, you know, different places. Um, you know, whether it be ads or responding to emails, the type of inbound we get. Um, and then it's like, you know, friends, family, all that's like anyone who's experienced the brand, it's always interesting to get their perspective. Usually it's, you know, you got to understand that a lot of it can be biased because, you know, if they're friends or family, sometimes they don't want to be critical. Then there's like the friends or family who like want to be super critical, which is, which is helpful. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you know, try to listen to the customer as much as possible. So when we talk today, uh, you've got, you know, uh, double digit employees, uh, you're profitable, you've raised, uh, no kind of venture capital, uh, and, uh, you, you've really built a great business. Uh, we started this conversation off with the idea that, uh, you were a solo employee up to $7 million in revenue. When did you know it was time to bring on other people? Like, was there a moment where you were like, oh man, I am overwhelmed. Uh, I need, really, really need help. Like, like what drove you to finally get another employee? Um, it was, yeah, it was something I, well, I, re I remember the, like up until that time, it was like a big internal debate of like, should we hire? No, I can keep going. I can keep doing this. But then it was like, at some point I was like, you know, this isn't sustainable. You know, the goal is to build a big brand. Um, I can, we can afford to hire someone and support that salary. Um, so it was just, it, I think everything just kind of tipped to like, okay, if we're going to, if I'm going to keep doing this for a long time and build a big brand, you know, I need to start hiring people, especially if the business can support it. Um, so yeah, a few, a few different variables kind of were all telling me, you know, now is the time to, to hire. I absolutely love the fact that you did that. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the idea of not high, or uh, not raising any venture capital, right? Uh, you did Kickstarter, so there was kind of some initial uh, funding, but it really was kind of this pre-order model. Um, was it intentional not to raise venture capital, uh, or did it just kind of happen? Like, what was that uh, that story? I think in the beginning. Um, I had saved a little bit from my previous jobs and we, I had done the Kickstarter. So, you know, I felt like I had a, a little runway to test out the idea uh, and, and see, you know, what could become of it. Um, at some point I raised a small round from friends and family a couple of years in to support, you know, moving manufacturing overseas with higher minimums and to make more products than just the pants. Um, but I, I, you know, we were fortunate we had pretty quick growth over the first few years. And it was, everything was moving so quickly that it was like, I didn't think that raising equity would really change the path we were on. And so it's like, you know, if we're growing quickly. I already feel like it's as risky as, you know, I'm comfortable with it as it is given the pace we're moving at. So it's like, I don't want to put more fuel on the fire and, and, you know, accelerate the risk and maybe make some decisions that I'm not as comfortable with. And I'm happy with like the growth we're seeing. So in the beginning it was, just being okay with, you know, the growth rate at which we were on and not feeling like equity would really change that path. Um, yeah. Got it. And so when you think about, um, 
kind of that path, would you go back and do it differently? Would you have raised capital? Uh, or do you think this was the right way to do it? Would you be in a different position if you had raised capital? Um, I don't think I would do it differently. I, I, you know, sometimes I think about what, where we would be if, if we had raised capital and, you know, would we be three to five years ahead of where we are today? Um, but no, I mean, I, 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 I chose the path and I, you know, I have no regrets about the path and, um, I think it's been right for us as a company. The one thing is like, you know, there are some brands that, that end up raising a ton of capital and then they maybe find out that, you know, sometimes the, the financials don't make sense and they're scaling on financials or, or metrics KPIs that don't make sense. Um, I do think that we kind of have, you know, we're fortunate we, ha we have this product and we have KPIs that kind of make sense now to, to scale and, um, you know, financing might kind of change where we are today, but um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I, it was a good path for us and uh, I, I would, I would pursue it again the same way. Yeah. Talk to me about your supply chain, obviously with uh, COVID and kind of everything that's happened uh, over the last year, I'm assuming that there was a ton of uh, issues there and that you had to navigate, but uh, just maybe explain a little bit about how the supply chain set up and then what you've had to uh, navigate over the last year. Yeah, we, so we make everything. Uh, most of our stuff is made in Thailand, Indonesia, and Peru. Um, when, when COVID hit, we, we had a decent amount of inventory of kind of all of our products. So we didn't have a lot of POs that were coming. So it wasn't like we needed to shift, you know, and slow down POs. We also, you know, we found out kind of later throughout COVID, we didn't really, we hadn't really tested what the capacity levels were at our factories because we weren't really placing a bunch of orders. And so um, something that we experienced was after the holidays, we had, we had a good Q4, we had an encouraging holiday. Um, and you know, we wanted to order more. We found out kind of November that stuff that was supposed to hit end of December wasn't going to hit and it was going to be six to eight weeks delayed. And so, uh, Q1 this year, January and February, we were out of product, uh, in a lot of our core SKUs because of factory delays. I think something that we experienced was a lot of our factories slowed down last summer. They laid people off, unfortunately. And they didn't have the same capacities that they used to have. And then a lot of brands, I think, started seeing success. Q4 last year, we were starting to ramp up. And the factories no longer had the same capacity, and so they couldn't keep up. And so, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's been difficult for us uh, the last, you know, four or five months, having product on hand, feeling good about, you know, continuing to keep product on hand. I think we're now at a point that will be, you know, hopefully good through the rest of the year. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's been a challenge for sure. And part of having a really strong supply chain, uh, not having raised capital, you know, really kind of working your ass off in terms of uh, those first couple of years, uh, one of the benefits of all of that is you're profitable. You've been profitable for quite a while. Uh, talk through maybe the pros and cons of uh, being profitable early. Did that change from the decision making that you may have made otherwise? Uh, and then how have you seen that as an advantage as you've built the business over the last few years? I think, I think so the advantage is like, you know, we get to make our own decisions on where we want to go and what we want to do for the most part. We're not beholden to an investor. We're not beholden to trying to, you know, get more money from, you know, an outside person, institution, whatever it may be, um, which has been super helpful in terms of like, 
you know, we're operating the business on a daily basis. And so everyone internally, you know, the team now today, we're making decisions on what we think makes sense for the business and we're able to execute it without feeling like, you know, we need to check with someone or we need to do something differently. Um, I think it's also, it's given us a little more room you know, I, I think it's kept us disciplined in like how we think about marketing and, and where we want to go. And, um, you know, the, the the con or the drawback is maybe that like, you know, we've been uh, less aggressive in our marketing. Uh, and so, you know, maybe we haven't grown as quickly as we otherwise would have if we had, you know, a bunch more capital to try to test things. Um, but, you know, Obviously, with the testing, you find out what works, you find out what doesn't. We've been able to test a good amount. Um, but yeah, maybe, maybe you know, the outside capital help makes us accelerate our testing a bit more and, um, you know, allows us to do things that we would find out that do work for us that we've been maybe hesitant to do. Um, yeah. Talk to me about the changes in consumer behavior that you've seen through the last 12 months, COVID, the economic crisis, et cetera. Are there specific things that stick out in your mind uh, that maybe other people aren't aware of? Yeah. Um, although, although people may already be aware of it or, you know, have heard it from others, um, you know, mid-March, those mid-March up until really May, it was, very slow for us, you know, and the, the website fell off in a way that it was like, you know, when you're experiencing it, we don't know what's going on with COVID. We don't know how long it's going to last. And it's at a point where it's like, if we keep seeing revenue like this on a daily basis, I don't know how long we can survive. Like, is this a six month, a 12 month thing where just, you know, people aren't spending or, or buying our clothes. And um, so that was super scary. We started to see an uptick throughout the summer. We saw people buying a lot of shorts. Um, and then, you know, the fall was pretty good. We, again, we saw slowdown for the election, but I think that's, you know, outside of COVID, we probably would have seen that. And then we had a, we had a good holiday season, which I remember even going into Black Friday and Cyber Monday, not really knowing how it was going to go. Um, and, and then, you know, seeing what the performance was like and seeing what the, you know, consumer, um, what the consumer was buying and that, you know, so that was exciting. And then, and then of course we, find out shortly thereafter that, you know, the, the product's not going to hit that we thought for the restocks and now we're going to be out of stock. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's probably similar to what other businesses have experienced in terms of like a, you know, a dramatic drop off in demand and then a slow rebound and, you know, it's, it's feeling good now again. So. Yeah. Well, it, it's incredible to, uh, to kind of go through those peaks and valleys all uh, in a short, compressed period of time, right? Uh, it takes the, the whole idea of being an entrepreneur and puts it on steroids when you've got the, uh, the macro environment going so crazy. Uh, one, one of the things that I find fascinating about your business is uh, this focus on comfort. But I got to ask, how do you measure comfort? Is it just you put the clothes on and you're like, yep, this is comfortable. Nope, this is not. Uh, do you have like a panel? Is it friends and family? Like who is the determination uh, factor around what is actually comfortable and what's not? It's uh, a good question. Uh, I mean, it's friends and family. I, you know, I started a clothing company because I had a strong opinion in clothing and felt like I had a good barometer for that stuff. Um, but of course, like I'm only one person, I, you know, I don't have a background in clothing. So, uh, yeah, as prototypes come in, it's, you know, putting them on different people, seeing what their reaction is, you know, if it's friends or family and they're trying it, like forcing them as much as possible to be critical and like, you know, not hold back. Um, and then like, you know, 
as we've come out with products and we get feedback on what people are liking and not liking, then we can refine and dial it in and do more of or do less of. If you could go back uh, and unpack kind of that first three and a half years when you're working by yourself, uh, what are the things that kept you going? Was it something that you were telling yourself? Was it uh, the fear of failure? Was it just every day you looked for one positive sign to kind of keep you moving forward? Like, what was the thing that kept you going for three and a half years by yourself? Um, and really from a perspective of there's a lot of people listening to this who uh, they're early, right? Whether they're actually by themselves or it feels like they're by themselves. Uh, they're very, very early in that journey. And they're constantly looking for uh, the right signs that they're on the right path and, and they can keep kind of uh, pushing forward. What was it for you that, that kept you there? I think, I mean, every day was exciting to me. Every day was something new. Um, I still, I, I remember feeling like, you know, getting to the weekends and still like doing stuff that I could do myself over the weekends, but being so eager to, for it to be Monday because like then I know people were online and they'd be responding to emails or be able to take phone calls. And so that, I mean, like it was, it was, it, I mean, it still is so exciting, but that was, you know, something that it was just like, I, it just didn't feel like a job at the time. It was like, you know, I am so dedicated to this. I, I'm loving it. And it's like, it, it, you know, still super stressful and, you know, making mistakes and, and not doing everything well. And, um, but you know, the excitement and then, and then it's like, you know, if I'm not doing anything, nothing's getting done. So it's like, the only way that I can keep doing this and sustain the excitement and, you know, enjoy this is like, okay, we need to progress the business so we can, you know, get to a place where it's financially sustainable. Yeah. And was there a moment when you said to yourself, it's working? Like, was it the Kickstarter and you're like, Oh, you know, people want this. Uh, was there like a dollar figure in the bank or revenue or like, what was that moment when you were like, damn, like I actually made it like make this work. Um, so I think probably when I made the first hire, when then it's like, when I was like, okay, this is working. Um, it's still like, even today, it's like, you know, I'm checking the numbers constantly. And if something doesn't look good for the last hour, it's like, what happened? Is the site down? You know, the lights could turn off at any minute. And I still fear that fear. Um, yeah. I, yeah. It's still, I mean, like the goal is hopefully, you know, something bigger and, you know, hopefully just getting started, but Yeah. Do, do you watch the numbers on like an hour by hour basis? Yeah, I do. It's not healthy. No, it, look, look, I actually think <laughs> it's one of the best signs of you really understand the business, right? Like I could probably ask you, you know, what are the uh, most popular hours of shopping versus not? And you intuitively just know, cause if you watch the numbers all day long, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, when I started the, the so we're on Shopify uh, and initially there's a Shopify app. So you, you could get a notification every time a purchase came through to your phone. And it was like a dopamine hit like every, cause I would know what the vibrate or the sound was. And now, I mean, I've turned that off the, the notification at least. Um, but yeah, I still check, uh, you know, very often. And part of it, part of it's like, now we're at a point where we have a team and like, if something's going wrong, you know, someone will, someone will catch it. Our customer support team will catch it. Or, you know, the person who oversees our site will catch it. Uh, but in the beginning it was like, I may be the only one who catches it. If it's like, you know, the last hour we haven't had any traffic on the site, something, maybe the site's down or something. So that was part of it, I think. 
Yeah. It, it's so funny. The, uh, that Shopify notification with the, uh, cash register noise. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I, uh, I've got, a, uh, two friends, uh, who are the founders of Adams, the uh, shoe company. Oh yeah. Sure. And, and I was over at their house, uh, six months ago, or maybe even a year ago at this point. And, uh, it kept going off. And I just looked at it at one point. They're like, yeah, we're not shutting that off. <laughs> right? it, was, it was just this thing of like, it was annoying, but it was like, Hey man, we just know that like, you know, things are working and, uh, yeah. and it's pretty cool to kind of see Shopify specifically, like their whole, uh, mentality of like arming the rebels, right. I've had, uh, Harley, the, uh, the president of Shopify on the podcast before. And I think that just hearing, uh, kind of their focus on celebrating entrepreneurship and really empowering entrepreneurs seems like you're like the quintessential story for a platform like Shopify, right. Where basically, uh, you didn't need a big team. Uh, you simply needed the platform. And once you had the tools, then you kind of get to work and can build a business and, uh, and turn into something pretty special, create jobs for people uh, and, and really kind of uh, embrace all that entrepreneurship uh, that everyone always talks about. Yeah. Yeah. Shopify has been a great platform for us. I remember uh, in the beginning, it was like, you know, Shopify or Squarespace and at the time it was like, there wasn't, it was hard for me to tell the difference between them. Some people were on Squarespace and I'm, yeah, I feel fortunate that we went with Shopify. It's been a great platform for us. Awesome. Uh, what's the most popular product that anyone buys? Our most, our best seller is the All the Everyday Pant, um, which was our, our first product we started with. And when you decide to launch new products, uh, what do you have to see? Or like, how do you get the confidence to launch something new, knowing that that very first product is still the most popular one? Yeah. Um, I think a lot about like what complements, what do we already have um, today? And like, you know, if we've got a certain product, do we have a top that you can wear with it or a bottom that you can wear with it? Um, then like on a higher level, I think about, you know, where are we as a brand today? And when we launched the brand, it was, you know, really focused on the leisure space, kind of trying to stay away from the active athletic space, thinking that space is more saturated. And then like on the other end of like, you know, business casual work. Um, and so we've kind of gravitated more towards business casual and work. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's in buckets of, you know, where does it fit within our, our product offering? And then, you know, also what are we hearing from customers and what do we think makes sense to complement what we already have out there? Yeah. What's your biggest regret over the last couple of years? If you go back and change one thing, is there anything that sticks out? I think, I mean, I, I know we've talked about, you know, the hiring a good amount and, you know, me being the only employee, I, I do wish that I had hired a bit sooner, both for customer support and then, um, you know, our head of operations who was our first hire. Um, it just became apparent that like, you know, getting good people on board and, you know, helping the business scale in that way uh, really opens up a lot uh, in terms of, you know, what I can focus on, what more we can be doing as a company. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that's, that's maybe my biggest regret is kind of wishing I'd hired sooner. Yeah. And when you think about uh, that regret, that it makes me ask the opposite question, which is what is your favorite memory from the last couple of years? Uh, the the memory that sticks out the most that is, is kind of funny now is we moved fulfillment centers. Um, this was a few years ago. I'm still the only employee. Uh, and at the time, like I was, I had a good relationship with the existing fulfillment center. I was nervous to tell them that I wanted to leave. Ended up telling them 
And at the, I didn't even consider it, but I, I'd show up with a U-Haul truck and I, you know, load the truck. They kind of helped me load it. And then I drive it from New York to Chicago with my brother, um, to a new fulfillment center. And it was like, I didn't consider that I could have hired someone to, you know, help me load it to drive. I had never, I hadn't driven a truck like that before and show up to the new fulfillment center, get them. And it was like all over the weekend so that we wouldn't have that much missed time to fulfill orders. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's funny to think about. But those, those to me, like that story specifically is almost like the fun of it, right? Like if you just hired people to do all that other stuff, like it's almost like you wouldn't have that story or that memory. And so, uh, sure you'd have a successful business, but to some degree, like that seems to be the, uh, the fun part of actually building the company. Definitely. Definitely. What did and your like, brother, what did your brother think when you were like, Hey man, you're going to come, come with me if we're going to go on this drive. <laughs> Luckily he's an entrepreneur himself and he was, you know, happy to do it. And yeah, I mean, it was, it was fun. Once we had like the stuff loaded and we were on the road, it was, it was fun driving together. Yeah. I, uh, one of my brothers is, uh, is thinking about moving and, uh, we were just talking about this, this idea of like, Hey, we'll just put it all on a U-Haul and then we'll drive and it'd be, you know, pretty long 18 hour drive. And, uh, he literally told his girlfriend, he said, Oh, we'll just like play music and like hang out and have a blast. And so I don't think that she thought it was nearly going to be as fun <laughs> as we thought it was. <laughs> That's funny. Absolutely. Before, uh, before I let you go, I ask everyone the same three questions. You'll get to ask me uh, one to finish up. What, uh, what's the most important book you've ever read? I don't know if it's the most important, but the one I've enjoyed a lot recently is shoe dog. Um, you know, it's relevant, but, um, it's a, it's a book that like I've read multiple times and then I'll read, you know, parts of it just to like enjoy, like reread some of the stuff that I love the most. Um, it, yeah, it's just for me. It, yeah. I really enjoy reading it. How much of it is, uh, that story resonates with you because it is, uh, you know, kind of an apparel like story or company, um, and some of the aspects of like the supply chain and the difficulties and complexities you resonate with, with compared to just like the entrepreneurship story in general. Uh, a lot there's a lot of similarities and it's like, you know, we're not Nike. I'm like the dream is one day, 20 years, whatever, like 40 years. Um, but yeah, there, there's a lot. That's maybe one of the reasons why I like it so much. It just feels like there's a lot of similarities between some of the problems you went through and what it feels like I'm going through. Wasn't even called Nike at the time. Right. Right. That's right. <laughs> Uh, second question is about your sleep schedule. Uh, I'm going to break this up. I want, uh, what was your sleep schedule? And this comes from our friends over at eight sleep. So they've got this thermoregulation bed. Uh, I turn it super cold. My wife turns it really hot and, uh, I sleep like a baby now, but I used to only sleep, you know, five, six hours. Uh, what was your sleep schedule when you didn't have any employees? And then what has it transitioned into, uh, today? Uh, it's pretty similar. I, I've kind of always tried to get seven to eight hours of sleep. It's been something that like has just been important to me. Uh, I know that like, if you know, if I go too many days without getting that, I won't be able to function. And so, um, yeah, I, I'm usually, yeah, trying to get seven or eight hours. All right. You, you, uh, you were way ahead of the curve on that one. <laughs> yeah. uh, last question you get to ask me one is uh, aliens, believer or non-believer? I'm a believer. Why? Yeah. Just like, you know, seeing some of the, seeing some of the, the dead out there, the research, it just feels like 
and and you know thinking about how big everything is um it feels more likely than not that there are another species out there yeah it feels like uh probabilistically yes right uh what shape they are in right are they intelligent or not uh is a whole different ball game but uh it, it just feels like uh, I, I even go as far as to say like i bet you mars has some sort of life it just may not be what we're all thinking about you know the little green man walking around right 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 uh could could be uh you know literally cells or something so who, who knows i'm not a scientist but uh but i agree with you i think that it's got to be life somewhere else yeah yeah what uh what one question you have for me to uh, to wrap us up i've got so uh my question is what keeps you up at night what do you think about or yeah curious what you know yeah this is gonna sound insane but this is like a new worry. Uh, I try to balance uh, happiness with ambition. And uh, my nature is to go 110% hard charging. Uh, I wouldn't sleep if I thought that that was a smart thing to do anymore, right? Like, just like, just go for it all the time, bigger, faster, better. Um, but what I've noticed is like, there's a direct trade-off between like that type of mentality and, and um, kind of pursuit with just peace of mind and like happiness. And so like where the balance is, uh, I'm not sure because if you just optimize completely for happiness in some way, you almost feel lazy. Like you, you feel like you're like not doing anything, uh, which is almost the test of happiness. Like, can you do nothing and be happy? Right. Um, but, but I think that, uh, that balance is, uh, almost one of these things where like, you'll never actually get the right answer. Uh, but the constant pursuit of the balance between ambition and happiness seems to be, uh, uh, at least right now, you know, kind of top of mind. And uh, it, it's funny to kind of hear you thinking through and talking about, you know, when you started to uh, hire people versus not hire people, whatever, some of it is, can you, you know, be ambitious? Uh, and also maybe you don't have to do hundred percent of the work, right? Like, is, is, does that kind of bring more happiness? Or if you've got to manage people, maybe that actually makes you unhappy, right? Yeah. Uh, it kind of depends on uh, on the situation, uh, the individuals, and kind of what you're trying to accomplish. But I think that that balance is probably the thing that, uh, that I spend the most time thinking about right now. Super interesting. Yeah, that resonates with me for sure. Why? I, I think, you know, similarly, it's like, can I be happy in the moment? Like, you know, I feel like the brand is is, is doing well and we've accomplished a lot and... You know, it's gotten to a place where, you know, a year, two or three years ago, it would have been a dream to get to this place and, and you know, see the numbers and have the employees. And and it's hard to appreciate it and not want more of like, OK, we got to here. Let's get to the next stage. Let's get to the next stage. And it's like, I don't know. I think a lot about like, you know, how, you know, when do I feel like I've, I've made it or, you know, we're a success or and what does that feel like? And yeah. Absolutely. Uh, where can we send people to uh, pick up some clothes? Well, hold on. First of all, before you tell us, I have to say, I've got a bunch of the pants, uh, shirt, jacket. I said, the shit is actually really comfortable. Like, <laughs> I know you're saying it and like you're, you literally are, uh, are the founder of the company. So you're supposed to say it regardless. <laughs> but like as somebody who uh, I don't, buy designer clothes. Like I'm like a $5 jeans from Walmart type guy, uh, literally just wear, you know, black t-shirts, et cetera. Uh, it's super comfortable. And so anyone who's listening to this, who's like, ah, I don't know, like, 
completely unfiltered advice uh, or feedback. Like it's really, really comfortable. So where can people go uh, purchase anything, uh, especially the pants, if, uh, if that's what they want? Nice. That's awesome to hear. Um, very cool. Uh, our website is uh, publicrec.com. Uh, rec is R-E-C, like recreation. So yeah, publicrec.com. All right. Before I let you go, you got to tell me where the name come from. Uh, wearing clothes in public during recreation, which was like the thought of it. And it was just like, at the time, it was a lot of back and forth with one of my friends who was like, I was like, you like this? And he would throw it. And so um, I like the word public. Uh, and I think initially I tried to get public service and I couldn't get that clear through IP. And so I uh, landed on public rec. I love it, man. You're building an absolute beast of a company. So keep going. I'm a big fan. Uh, I wear the clothes and anyone who wants go to uh, publicrec.com and we'll have to do it again in the future. Awesome. Awesome. It's good talking to you.